Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, We, as Tracy mentioned, are starting a new series today on the book of Revelation. Uh, So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 1, verse 1. For those of you who are new to Scripture, Revelation is the very last book in your Bible. So you can flip all the way to the back. Revelation 1, verse 1. If you've been at River's Edge for the past year, You know that roughly one year ago, we finished our annual vision series, and we started our journey through the Bible cover to cover in one year. And as we started that journey a year ago, we invited the community to read their Bible cover to cover in one year, which many of you did, finishing up a few weeks ago. And we used the vast majority of our Sundays over the course of this last year, to study our way through the scriptures in one year. So we spent uh, the first couple months, this time last year, in the book of Genesis. We did a series on Israel and the Old Testament. We did a series on the prophets of the Old Testament, who they were, what they were up to, uh, what their message was. And then through this summer, for those of you who are around, you know that we taught through the book of Ephesians, which is just one example of the many Old Testament or New Testament uh, letters that we have. Uh, and that brings us up to this morning as we start our final segment of our journey in the book of Revelation. And the first question that likely arises in many of your minds is why Revelation? Revelation is by many accounts the most confusing and dangerous book in the entire Bible. It is full of vivid and confusing imagery. A lamb on a throne, strange angelic creatures, the beast and the mark of the beast, a cosmic war that is breaking out, great trials and tribulations, bowls of wrath, poured out over the earth. It is a book of the end times, the last days, and it is shocking and provocative. Martin Luther, the man credited by many with the the Great Reformation, wrote a commentary on every single book in the New Testament except this one. John Calvin believed that it blurred people's vision of Christ and was too confusing to teach on. And as the first Bible was carefully being compiled, there were many who fought to keep Revelation out of the Bible entirely, who did not believe this book should be part of the canon. Revelation almost didn't make the cut. 
There are many who didn't want it in the Bible. What we're about to read has become the basis of the famous Left Behind series, which sold 60 million copies with tales of the end times, the Antichrist, and the rapture. Revelation has been misconstrued, misinterpreted, and brushed aside for thousands of years. And yet, along the way, it has been regarded by some as, quote, not only one of the finest literary works in the New Testament, but also one of the greatest theological achievements of early Christianity. Several decades ago, one high school student recorded his experience of revelation with these words. He says, the funny thing is, I'm quite sure I didn't understand what on earth it was all about, but I can still remember the explosive power and beauty of it, the sense that the New Testament I held in my hands had a thunderstorm hidden inside of it that nobody warned me about. This teenager would grow up to be one of the foremost biblical scholars in the world. Today, we know him as N.T. Wright. And this morning, we step into the thunderstorm. With all of its controversy, with all of its confusion, with all of its beauty, And with that, we will dive in. If you have your Bibles open, this is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. starts this way. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. Before we can begin unpacking Revelation, uh, before we can step into the storm, uh, before we can begin to understand its images and, and decode its events, we have to start by asking a very simple question. What is the book of Revelation? What are we reading when we pick it up? How should we approach it? What genre of writing are we about to engage in? And I know what some of you are thinking. Why on earth are we talking about genre? How boring. Can't we talk about the lamb and the dragon and the bulls of wrath and and the beast and the mark of the beast? And we'll get to all of that, but first, 
we have to slow down and figure out what type of book we're about to read because the genre of writing is going to determine how we interpret the words. For example, if you pick up a piece of writing and it starts with, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, but being one traveler long I stood, looking down both paths in the undergrowth. What type of reading do you have in your hands? Poetry. You have poetry, and, and you, we approach poetry with a certain lens, with a certain set of expectations. I don't care where these two paths are. I, I'm not interested in their specific a GPS location in upstate New York or, or whatever. In fact, I don't even care if these two paths exist. And as I pick up this poem to read it, I assume that they don't exist, and that's not the point. The point that the author is getting at is something much deeper than that, something real, something existential. Are you with me? So, so that's what I'm looking for as I read. The, the genre completely colors how I read the passage and what I'm looking for as I read. If the passage starts with, once upon a time, then we know we're reading what? Fairy tales. And, and so everything that follows this phrase, I'm going to read with, with a certain set of assumptions, with a certain set of expectations. I actually assume everything is fake, it's made up, there's going to be creatures in there that don't actually exist in our universe, but that's not the point. What, what I'm reading for, I know it's going to carry a, a deeper life lesson that probably should impact me and, and the way that I live. So I'm looking for that life lesson as I read through something that's completely made up. I, I have a lens now through which to view everything that follows. If a story starts with long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, then I know that I'm about to be inspired. But, but more importantly, for our purposes this morning, I, I know that what follows this phrase is not going to be a scientific report uh, fr from those who are operating the Hubble Space Telescope, right? Be because we know what this means. Everything that follows, I'm going to view uh, through a certain lens, through a certain set of assumptions. Are you with me? So... Before we can get into all of the vivid imagery of Revelation, we have to start by asking, what is Revelation? What, what genre, what am I about to read? Because that will determine how we interpret the book. Is it poetry? Is it political satire? Is it science fiction? Is it fantasy? We've got to figure that out first. And this is where most people err in their reading and interpreting of the book of Revelation. 
So I want to start this morning in verse 4. We're going to start in verse 4. We're going to work our way back to verse 1, noting the genre as we go. Okay, so this is verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. What are we reading? A letter. We're reading a letter. We're reading a letter written by a real person named John, written to real people in real churches, in real cities, in the ancient Near East. That's, that's one of the genres of Revelation. And so like all of Scripture, this letter is written for us, but not to us. So, in order to enter into, understand the book of Revelation, there's a real sense in which we have to re-enter the first century world. Much of what is written in the book of Revelation was perfectly understandable to its original audience. We are not that original audience, and therefore, we have to work a little bit harder in order to, stand, to understand uh, what may have seemed quite simple to them. It made sense in their world. Revelation is a letter written to real people meant to inspire faithfulness in the first century church. It made sense to them. Can you imagine if I wrote you a letter today that was complete nonsense in your eyes, that made no sense at all, and then I signed the bottom of the letter by saying, hey, hold on to this letter because your great-grandkids are going to love it. No, you would never do that. A letter holds special significance to those who it is written to. And Revelation is no exception. Uh, next, if you move up one verse over to verse 3. Verse 3 says this. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. First, Revelation is a letter. Uh, second, Revelation is what? What is it according to this verse? A prophecy. So it's not just a letter. It's also a prophecy. What is a prophecy? Luckily, we have loads of prophecies in the Old Testament. And, and so we can, we can turn there, we can look at those, we can analyze those for some sort of context as to what this is. Is The Old Testament prophecy should deeply inform our understanding of what we're about to read. But if we only understand one thing about biblical prophecy, understand this. Prophecy is primarily concerned with the present. If you go back and read all of the prophecies given by all of the prophets in all of the Old Testament, the vast, vast majority is simply speaking God's words to God's people in the present. Prophecy 
is about challenging and encouraging God's people toward faithfulness in the present by giving people a divine or cosmic perspective. Here's what reality looks like from God's perspective. That should now inform how you live in the present. And this is going to relate closely to the third and most important genre of revelation, which is apocalyptic literature. And yes, that means revelation fits into three different genres at the same time. This is one of the reasons we struggle with this book. Revelation is a letter to real people in a real place. It's a prophecy which challenges and encourages God's people by helping them understand their present circumstances. And it is apocalyptic literature, which is something almost completely foreign to us in the 21st century. In fact, this genre no longer exists. We don't have it. And so in order to understand the book of Revelation, not only do we have to re-enter the first century world, but we have the doubly difficult task of understanding and interpreting a genre that no longer exists. And just as you'd approach poetry with a certain set of lenses and assumptions, in the ancient world, you would approach apocalyptic literature with a certain set of lenses and assumptions, our problem is we don't know what those are. We don't live in that culture. We don't have that genre. So naturally, we don't understand the lenses and assumptions that they carried into their reading of this book. So what we have to do is go back into their world and understand apocalyptic literature in order to understand what it might have meant to the original audience. If we blow past all of that as a community and jump straight into the book of Revelation, making our best wild guesses at what it means, we're going to be in trouble. We can end up in a totally crazy place if we don't first understand what it is that we're reading. Apocalyptic literature was a common form of writing in the first century, and it was marked by the following elements. Apocalyptic literature was a revelation or unveiling of a deeper cosmic reality. It, often, it was often revealed through an angelic mediator. Number three, it placed the first century world in in cosmic, big-picture, spiritual terms, helping God's people understand their suffering and remain faithful. Number four, it was written almost always in times of turmoil. Five, it's highly symbolic. And six, it blurred the near future and the end of the age. So if you go back and do a historical study in the 200 years before Jesus and in the 200 years after Jesus, this was very common. Lots of people were writing this type of thing. And and these elements were almost always in all of them. This is like part of what it means to be apocalyptic literature. 
Um, and not only do we have tons of examples of this from around the time of Jesus, from the span of about 400 years, but there are pieces of apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature in the scriptures as well. And we might get a chance to look at some of those as we move forward in the series. But you can look in the Gospels, you can look in the Old Testament, and there are bits and pieces, passages, that qualify as apocalyptic literature. And so while there are no books in the Bible, quite like the book of Revelation, there are passages of Scripture and tons of historical context uh, that help us understand what apocalyptic literature is. How do we know that the book of Revelation sits squarely in this category? Well, a bunch of this is right here in the opening verse. We'll, we'll go all the way back to the top. This is verse 1. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, I could literally teach multiple Sundays just on this first verse. I won't, but I could. So I'm going to try and do like the super, super condensed version of the importance of what's being said here. The very first word in the book of Revelation, in the Greek, is apocalypsis, which, when, which is where we get our word apocalypse. Okay, when we hear apocalypse, myself included, we think end of the world, kind of the destruction of everything, the end of this age. The word more accurately means unveiling. It, it's an unveiling, it's a pulling back of the curtain of this world so that we can see the deeper reality that lies behind it, to see see a greater cosmic spiritual reality which sits behind the visible world. So the curtain is being pulled back, and it's a revelation from Jesus Christ, or some translations say of Jesus Christ, and both are accurate. What John received was both from Jesus through the Spirit and an angelic mediator, and it is primarily a revelation of Jesus. Revelation is sending a message through symbols, unveiling the true nature of the reality that they live in and the future that's out front in a manner that first century servants could understand. That's, that's verse 1. It tells us what we are about to read and therefore how we might approach and interpret it. This is apocalyptic literature from start to finish, soaked in a genre and a tradition that we don't understand. And here's why it matters. If you've been tuning out for the last 20 minutes, I'll forgive you. Just, just this, is where, this is why it matters, okay? Apocalyptic literature, in this genre, things don't act like they should. We live in a literal, materialistic, scientific, 
fact-based culture. And that paints our experience of Scripture. The very first time I read the book of Revelation, I was actually doing one of these Bible-in-a-year things, just by myself. This is years ago. So I decided I'd, I would read the Bible cover to cover. And by the time you get to the end of the New Testament, oh man, I was on top of the world. I was so excited. I've been so shaped by my experience. Oh, and I'm on to the last book. And I got into this last book, the book of Revelation, and I started reading it. And what I experienced was a mix of fear and confusion and awe. And because I'm a literal a logical Western thinker, I said to myself, well, this is the word of God. It's true. It's accurate. And therefore, there will literally be a ten-headed beast that rises up out of the ocean with a prostitute riding on its back who will lead the rebellious on earth into this cataclysmic final battle with the people of God. I, I could only picture it in very literal, almost scientific terms. And and it drastically shaped my thinking about the end times and, and how I ought to live day by day in light of that future. Reading Revelation is a powerful experience. Understanding this book is important. But here's the problem. When I read Revelation for the first time, I completely ignored genre. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And and, and I'm worried about where I can place that on the map. where, where, Where is this? The The first line says, Long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, And I'm halfway through the report thinking, like, really? Like, they saw this through the Hubble telescope? Like, Luke Skywalker, what? Don't miss the genre. Revelation is apocalyptic literature which uses images and metaphors to place the faithful reader in a deeper cosmic perspective with a call to faithfulness. But this writing does not follow the rules that we have today. For example, colors in the book of Revelation often in numbers, uh, sorry, colors in the book of Revelation um, often function as images. When you see a color, you have to think about an image that it's trying to evoke. And numbers often function as adjectives. So if you're reading the book of Revelation, and if you haven't read this book or you haven't read it recently, that's your homework. Please go and read the book of Revelation. Because otherwise the next few months are going to be completely, they might be confusing either way, but they're going to be even more confusing if you don't know what we're talking about. So please read it this week if you can. Uh, It's the only way this series will make any sense. But as you're reading it, whenever you see pale, green, or black, it's symbolizing death. Whenever you see red, it's talking about violence and often uh, militaristic violence. 
Whenever you see purple, it stands for imperial evil. Whenever you see white, it stands for holiness or cleanliness. Whenever you see gold, it's representing beauty or royalty or sometimes false divinity. And the list goes on. Those colors are are loaded images. And if you think that's confusing, it gets even more confusing because numbers are not actually numbers. They're adjectives. Okay? So whenever you see seven in the book of Revelation, it's talking about fullness or completion. Whenever you see six, it's talking about a lack of fullness or an imperfection. Whenever you see a thousand, it's talking about a lot or a long time. Whenever you see 12 or its multiples, it's talking about the people of God. 12, 24, 144, all of those are symbols for the people of God. These aren't literal. Do you feel disoriented by that? Because I do. I I, I was an atheist, and then a scientist, and then a lawyer. My mind is hardwired to think about this stuff in a way that's logical and literal. That is not the book of Revelation. We cannot approach it ignoring genre and the way that these things functioned in apocalyptic literature. Uh, One of the reasons that that the book of Revelation is so disorienting is because apocalyptic literature is disorienting to us. You could read a hundred of these, and they might be very similar to each other, but they'd all be equally confusing to us because we don't understand the rules and the assumptions that go with the genre. We, we have to sort this out. And, and so we, we have to, or we had to, um, slow down this morning and slow down enough that we could study the first verse, that we could study the first paragraph, because that's where the genre is contained. If we can wrap our minds around the three genres of Revelation, we will be in infinitely better shape as we begin to work our way through this book. Revelation is a letter to people who written to people who would have understood it. It's a prophecy written to challenge and encourage faithfulness, speaking of what is and what soon will come. And it's apocalyptic literature which uses highly symbolic language to describe a deeper cosmic reality which is and soon will come. It pulls back the curtain, simultaneously revealing what will happen in the first century and what will happen at the end of the age, blurring those events as it goes. This is why... This is why the book of Revelation is so confusing to us. This is why it's so disorienting. This is why it can feel so foreign. But truly, the book of Revelation becomes dangerous when we ignore genre, when we blow past this lens and go straight into the book and we begin imposing our own assumptions on what's written there. 
We have so many assumptions about the book of Revelation. We assume Revelation is describing literal, concrete events, but it's symbolic. We assume that Revelation is written in a strict chronological timeline, but it's not. It's actually almost spiraling through time, hitting on the same events multiple times from multiple angles. How confusing is that? That's not how we think in the Western world. It's bewildering to us. We assume that Revelation was a complete and utter mystery to its first century audience and that somehow it makes sense to us today as if it was just a code book written for like discerning 2020 or something. In reality, the opposite is true. The words that we're going to read and study made way more sense to its first century audience than it does to us today. And as we get into the book, I think you'll see why. Uh, Many have assumed that Revelation was written to unveil or reveal the identity of the Antichrist or the timing of the rapture. In reality, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's all about him. The book of Revelation does not mention the Antichrist or the rapture once from start to finish. Not once. That is not its chief concern. The point is to highlight Jesus And no other book in the Bible has a higher Christology, has a higher view of Jesus than the book of Revelation. Nothing reveals Jesus in quite the same way as the book that sits open on your lap. It's not about the Antichrist. It's about the living Christ. Let's pick up one last time as we close. This is verse 4. I want to end with with this passage. Verse 4 says this. It says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Seven. Hmm. That's interesting. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Okay, the seven spirits before his throne is actually talking about the fullness of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. If you have an NIV, you probably have a footnote here that that if you look down that says, the sevenfold Spirit, singular. That, That number is an adjective. It means fullness. So grace and peace to you from God the Father and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and, verse 5, From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.
Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Brothers and sisters, we are stepping into a thunderstorm together. We are embracing the most controversial book in the entire Bible. But in the middle of that controversy, in the middle of that thunderstorm, in the middle of the universe, we have to see God and Jesus ruling from the throne. The faithful witness, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the one who freed us by his blood, the one who created us to be a kingdom of priests, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And my prayer for our community as we step into this series is that we will finish a few months from now not only seeing our reality from a different perspective, but even more than that, I'm praying that Jesus will reveal himself to us like never before. We believe uh, as a church, as a church movement, that God is leading us into a new era. But the people who are going to to shape the new era are the people who have encountered God. It's not the ones who have all the intellectual answers. It's not the ones who think they've decoded the end times. The, The future, the new era, belongs to those who have encountered the living Christ. And when we do, I I believe we're brought down to our knees. Those are the kingdom bringers, the the, the world shapers of tomorrow. And so my hope is that today, and, and as we journey through this series together, that you would encounter the living God. You can go ahead and and close your Bibles if you have them open. And uh, I'll just invite you to stand as we close. If you're up for it, uh, the worship team can come back up. And what I'd love to do, uh, usually at this point, we kind of um, rush into the back half of our gathering. The communion tables are open. We begin worshiping. Uh, But before that, I want us to take a moment and just wait on the Lord. And, and what I want to do is I want, I'm going to just pray really simply and ask Jesus to reveal himself to us. We believe that God pursues us. We believe that, that God wants to reveal himself to us. But I think the best way we could start out our series on the book of Revelation is recognizing that was God's heart. That his heart is to peel back the curtain 
and, and to show us who Jesus really is, uh, to, to show us the deeper cosmic reality that sits behind the curtain of our visible world. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll spend a few minutes just kind of waiting on him, uh, and then we'll continue in worship. But uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this uh, apocalypsis that we're going to study together. We thank you for this unveiling that took place uh, with a man named John on the island of Patmos 2,000 years ago. We thank you for, for what it reveals of you. Oh, the beauty that, that we're going to encounter in the coming weeks of, of the lion and the lamb, of the one on the throne, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ends. And yet, Lord, even as your followers, I'll confess that, that I spend most of my hours, most of my days, most of my life focused on, on the visible world in front of me instead of the deeper, truer, cosmic reality behind it. And, and so as we step into this together, Lord, I just pray really simply, come, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself to us before we rush into the next thing? Lord, we just take a deep breath. We open up our minds. We open up our hands. We open up our hearts. We just say, come. Come and reveal yourself to us now, Jesus. There are many of us in this room who are just hungry for a fresh encounter with you. Do not be a distant idea in this place, but, but be the, the living God to us. We wait on you now. In Jesus' name.